Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds. Thank you, Lyle, very much. Covenant. We're talking about a covenant today. Here's, here's the thing that we need to know right up front. We've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. A covenant is a contract. Covenant is a contract that establishes a relationship that sets a culture. Say that again. A covenant is a contract that establishes a relationship that sets a culture, that begins a culture. So in other words, let's say you were having a big event and it was a big event. So you need to have a contract with a musical group to come in and you were deciding whether or not to enter into a contract with you know, the National Symphony Orchestra or a heavy metal band. Now, do you think that, you know, one or the other, if you chose one of that, there'd be a different kind of mood and culture between the National Symphony Orchestra and the heavy metal band? Answer is yes. Yes. So it'd be totally different atmosphere. Well, a covenant is a contract that establishes a relationship. A relationship needs to be established with God. Right. And when you establish that relationship with God, who God is, God's great name that we just read about a few moments ago, that means then that the culture is going to be affected. So we've now here we are. We're we're up to Noah. We're up to Russell Crowe. Now, I would like to say to you, hey, man, we planned this out perfectly. And Russell Crowe and Noah, we did. We did. And we just happened to do this. And it just worked this weekend. The Noah movie is coming out. So we're not that smart. Maybe God is that smart, but we're not that smart. Right. Okay, so the first covenant we did was the covenant in the garden, right? It was a conditional covenant, eat of this tree and you'll die. And they ate of the tree and there was a problem in culture. Culture immediately began to go downhill. And you see that in the fall, thorns and thistles, even nature, thorns and thistles infest the ground. Even nature was affected. And then, then there's death and there's problem. And so what we had is we had covenant number two, the fall covenant, which was an unconditional covenant. God says, here's my covenant with you. I'm going to send a savior. And he's going to stomp on the head of the servant. And now we're up to covenant number three, which is the covenant of Noah. And this covenant means, means this. It's an, it's an unconditional covenant. God says, I, you know, the world won't be destroyed again by a flood. And we can pull a lot of meanings from that. But sometimes life gets really bad, like the flood of life just hits us. And God is saying, I will always save you if you'll enter into this relationship with me through this contract that we call a covenant. Now, something I've said for the past couple of weeks, and we'll continue to say, the Bible is not about many things. The Bible is about one thing. And the one thing the Bible is about, it's about a covenant. Old covenant, new covenant. We've talked about this the past couple of weeks. When you begin to filter everything that you read in the Bible through the lens of covenant, all of a sudden, a lot of the clutter, a lot of the confusion begins to go away. So today, this message is entitled Exercising Trust. Now, we could have used different names besides trust. We could have used hope, exercising hope, exercising belief, exercising confidence. We could have used all these different names. Every relationship, every relationship is entered in by trust, faith, faith hope or confidence. You enter in that way. 
right? A car, when you, when you decide to buy a car, you're a hoping that it's the right car for you. How many of us have bought a car, new or used, and we hoped, we did our research, we did our homework, we had confidence it was the right car, and it turned out to be the right car. But some of us, we did that with a car, and it turned out to be a lemon, right? So we choose a job. We choose a job on hope. That, oh, yeah, I mean, the boss is going to be good, and all the bad, it's going to be great. And sometimes it works out, and sometimes it doesn't. You know why? Because it was hope. It was faith. It was trust. You were hoping. You did your homework, so your confidence was high. Spouses. Okay. You know, as a... The relationship with God is, is, is the same way. Relationship with God is a relationship. It's based on the same thing as the car. It's on confidence. It's on hope. It's on faith. It's not on certainty. It's on faith and trust because it makes sense. How many of us, let's flash up the screen. Okay, who, all right, are there any Gator fans here? Who's pulling for the Gators? Very quiet. Okay, uh, not one Gator fan. Arizona, are you pulling for Arizona? Very quiet. All right. Wichita State Shockers? No. The Cavaliers. Anybody? All right. All right. Well, I hope you didn't have Duke or Syracuse in your bracket. Yeah, but we base this up, right, on confidence. Some of it is, some of it has no you know, logical founding whatsoever on it, just pure emotion that we choose these names. Do you see Warren Buffett was offering a billion dollars for a perfect bracket, right? Now, why did he do that? Because he's very smart. Because he knew no, nobody's going to win the billion dollars, right? You can't win it. And already, you're out, right? There's no, it's already been eliminated. Nobody can win the billion dollars. But it's, here's, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm after. We enter relationships. We pull for teams, Right? We enter relationships, we enter jobs, we enter marriages, hopefully, because we've done our homework and it's based off of things that we've seen, facts that we see, certain things, right? We've observed and we say, you know what? This is the best car for me. It makes sense. This is the best car. For me. It makes sense that this is the best spouse for me. Somehow it made sense to us. And that relationship with God is entered by trust, by faith, by confidence, the exact same way. We take a look at things and we see this. So here's what happened with, with Noah. To understand the situation with Noah, we have to begin to back up all the way to Genesis chapter four. Because if you just look at, at Noah by itself, you're not getting enough. You have to understand where this thing began to go wrong. Because long before there was a flood, there was a huge disaster on the earth long before the rains began to fall. So if you go back to Genesis chapter 4, you see this. You see Adam and Eve, and they have two sons, and they are, anybody know their names? Cain and? And Cain does what to Abel? kills him. So why does, it, why, why does he kill him? What you see here is you see the covenant culture going down one stream and you see the counter covenant culture going down the other stream. And those, that, those relationships in the culture set the tone. They set the mood for what's happening in the world. So Cain and Abel both bring a sacrifice to God. And we're told that Abel brings the first fruit sacrifice to God, right? And Cain doesn't. Cain brings the leftover of what he has to God. And God says, you know what, Abel, um, this is good. I accept this. And he says over here to Cain, Cain, you can do better than that. And what's going on there? First fruits are the first part. And the first part is always the best part. 
because the first part always, always takes faith. Leftovers never take faith. Here, I'll give you just a little example of this. My, my community group, my Bible study group, we meet Wednesday night at the church office. And we always have pizza. We have a person in our group, thank God, he's got a pizza ministry. And this is what he does. He picks up pizza, a number of pizzas, every Wednesday night from the Italian store. They have awesome pizza. And here's the thought, I don't know about any other guys in my group, but here's the thought going through my head, right? As he's coming through with all these pizza boxes and the smell of the Italian store pizzas filling the entire office, I am so worried that somebody else, because there's all kinds of groups in there, are going to come knocking on us and say, hey, you got any extra pizza? And I'm like, just get in here quick, right? Get in this room quick and let's just begin to eat like crazy because if somebody came before the eating started and said hey can i have some pizza oh man i don't know there might not be enough for me but you know what after we've gorged ourselves right and we've had four after i've had four or five slices you know i'm all full and somebody walks by i'm like hey you want some pizza come on i'm stuffed i can't eat anymore come on in well it doesn't take faith anymore is that the first part is always the best part because it takes faith. It takes trust. It does. And this is why, this is why God says to, to Cain, hey, look, you can do better than that. You can give me the best part. You can trust me. Give me the best part. And Cain says, no, I think there's a better way. I'm going to put my confidence in myself. So Cain kills Abel, and it's a trust thing. It's a faith thing. It's a confidence thing. And then look what happens. This is really interesting. Genesis four seventeen. So Cain made love to his wife. She became uh, pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city and he named it. Names are really important from Genesis 4 to Genesis 12. Super important, right? We just sang about God's great names. Really important. And, and he named it after his son. What's happening here is people who are in the counter covenant culture are trying to make a name for themselves as opposed to making a name for God. Name for God, the attributes of God. They're living for the attributes of God. Love, and sacrifice, and loyalty. And they're trying to make a name for themselves. So what happens is they begin to make a name for themselves and they begin to trust in themselves over God. What takes place in their lives? Things begin to spiral downward. Now, I, I want to do something real quick on names because we, we've been talking about these different elements in the covenant. Remember, we, we talked about there's 10 elements. We said there's the exchange of robes, your identity, belts, and weapons. Last week, we talked about the walk of death, dying to yourself. We talked about the mark on the body, right, in the hand. And Jesus says, hey, look at my hands. And God says, you're inscribed on the palms of my hands. I don't want to give you one this week that was natural, just like a marriage ceremony has these different elements. Covenant ceremony has the same thing. So here's the one this week. The exchange of names. Covenant partners would blend their names. We're going to visually show you this, so maybe it makes a little bit of sense since names are so important. So they exchange names. And so uh, his name, right, we're going to see this next week when we talked about Abraham or Abraham. His name was Abraham and his wife's name was Sarai. And they became Abraham and Sarah. Why did, why did they become that way? Because they blended their names with their covenant partner. And so who was their covenant partner? Let's show the next side slide. And their covenant partner was Yahweh. Well, you, there's no vowels in Hebrew. Y H W H is hard to say, right? You know, it doesn't make sense. Right? So, uh, so you put the vowel, you put the, yes, uh, Yahweh. Uh, and, but after that, after the covenant is made, all of a sudden, all of a sudden God becomes the God of Abraham. You notice that reading the Bible? Abraham, so Yahweh, it's in Hebrew, I'm not going to do it for you, right? It's a strong H sound. So Abraham, Abraham becomes Abraham, 
and Sarai becomes Sarah, right? So, and, and what you have is uh, Yahweh becomes the God of Abraham. Jesus Christ's most favorite title for himself is the Son of Man, covenant partner. So even the name shows the blending of the covenant. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them into the, anybody know the answer? Baptizing into the what? Name. Names, very important. What does the name represent? It's, it's, in the Bible, the name represents who that person is. This is important. Okay, ready? So it represents everything that that person is. So God is revealing himself as to being loving and loyal, a God of justice, of mercy, who is selfless and sacrificial and is forgiving and giving. Here's the question of this covenant. Is that... Do you, would you put your confidence in that? I, this is the whole thing. Cain is the counter covenant culture. And he says, you know what? I'm not going to, I don't have any confidence, hope, and belief in being loving or sacrificial. You know, I'm more of my confidence is on greed and myself and things like that. Okay. The covenant culture, this is simply it. Because there's so much confusion about this and there's so much confusion about the Bible and what the Bible is calling us to respond to. Here it is. Do you have confidence in love, loyalty, sacrifice, truth, grace, mercy? Is your, does your confidence lie there? If, if you're confident in those things, those virtues, well, then you're a believer in the covenant. You're a believer in the covenant because those are things that embody God and were perfectly shown to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the ultimate of sacrifice and love and loyalty and mercy and grace and truth. He is the ultimate of that. And to believe in those things and place your confidence in those things, like, you know what? You're, you're a covenant person. And there was this counter covenant culture that existed. The rest of the Bible from Genesis 4 is a struggle between believing in God and His attributes in the name of God and trying to make a name for yourself. Some of you might be familiar with Genesis like chapter 11. It talks about the Tower of Babel. What were they trying to do? They're trying to make a name for themselves, right? So do it the counter-covenant culture way. Things you know, just spiral out of control. We see, in, we, see we get all the way after uh, Cain mur- murders uh, Abel, right? So things continue to spiral downward because they're trying to make a name for themselves. And we see six generations later we see that uh, Cain's great-great-great-great-grandson named Lamech, he says he's, he's bragging that he murders a young man. And we're also told another important piece of information that he takes two wives. Two wives. So what we see is that the culture has gone out of control as we've turned away from God. There is violence, there's murder, and now there is polygamy. I get questions about polygamy quite often. Well, the Bible supports polygamy. I want you to know this, is is that the Bible doesn't support it. Every single time the Bible mentions polygamy, it says it's a disaster. It's a disaster. Now, I know that's controversial. When I was in Israel, I was reprimanded for saying that there's something wrong with polygamy, Uh, even by progressive Washington women. That was so strange. That could only happen to me, right? But uh, uh, the, I, the Bible here, here what you have, everybody, is you, you have this guy Lamech and the Bible saying he is in the counter covenant culture and he's gone the way of violence and murder and polygamy. So 
Is there a problem with that? Yes, there is. I won't say any more in case I get myself in trouble, but I'm just suggesting that the Bible's saying it's not a good thing. All right, now here we, here we, here we have the covenant coming back into play. So you get the, the two things they're battling. Genesis chapter 4, Adam makes love to his wife. She gives birth to a son and names him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. Now here it comes. And at that time, the people began to call on the name of the Lord. There it is again. Back to the covenant. So what? I just want to make this simple. What you're seeing is a battle between covenant people and counter covenant people. And that is how we get our way all the way to Noah. One little piece of information that we're going to dive straight into Noah. Look what happens. This is kind of bizarre. You might be thinking, what? What is this Genesis chapter six thing? When humans beings began to increase in number on the earth and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them that they chose. The sons of God went to the daughters of human and had children by them. They were heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race uh, had become on the earth, and every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Uh, people have asked me about that for years. I've wondered about that for years. People thought, well, that's angels. You know, there's, there's these angels, these super-duper human creatures have come down, and they're intermingling with the human race, and they're creating these you know, phenomenal giants and all this kind of stuff. Well, there's a key is given here. All right, here again, where the covenant clears away all the culture, uh, clears away all the cutter, clutter, it clears it up. Because if you're looking at it through covenant, you understand what's being talked about here is the covenant people and the people who are the counter covenant people. So look here, men of renown. That literally means in Hebrew, men of the name. Men of the name. Who are the men of the name? The line of Seth, covenant people. So here, simple. What you have is, is you have covenant people and you have people who are not of the covenant. And the people over here who are the covenant looked at beautiful women over here uh, who were not of the covenant and, and their beauty just overpowered them. And they said, we want to take them. And by implication, probably they're marrying more than one. And what is being implied in this whole thing is it led them away from the covenant. And they said, you know what? We're going to go the counter covenant way. We're not going to believe in love and justice and mercy and all these things. And that's why you get the verse at the end where it says this. The human heart was only evil all the time. Long before the flood disaster hits the world, the world was in it. This is a terrifying place to live. Would you like to live in a place where people's hearts, the only thought in their hearts was evil all the time? This would be one of the most dangerous places you could ever imagine living in. But here's where the two streams get farther and farther apart. We're not talking about angels here having sex with people and creating, right? Because the flood, it, it, there's no judgment on angels. I mean, the flood's judging everybody but angels. That doesn't make sense. These are men of renown. They're people of the covenant. And the people of the covenant said, you know what? I don't believe in sacrifice and selflessness and courage and loyalty anymore. I'm going to choose greed. I'm going to choose me. I'm going to choose living in fear rather than trust. And so it makes it simple. So here is how we get to the point of knowing the flood. I just thought maybe that would help us see where we are going. Now, I want to say uh, this too. Russian writer Dostoevsky says, if there is no God, everything is permitted. If there is no God, everything is permitted. I'll also say this. 
in addition to his statement. If there is no God, everything uh, can be disrespected. And so what, what they're living in now is in a culture that is completely uh, violent and disrespectful. Uh, there's tremendous pain that's going on. So that's what the world is being described, is, is filled with. And when, when, you know, when we're thinking about God and we're wondering sometimes to ourselves, is anybody up there? Just like the psalmist says, God, are you there? Are you, are you listening? All of us are tempted at times to think that way. We're wondering, is God there? But even as we are, even as we're feeling that way in our fear sometimes, right? Even if we deep down have this strong sense that somebody is there. Case in point, a poet named Jennifer Heck, she writes this. It's on your sheet. It's on the screen behind me. It says, the universe, this is what she says, the universe is nothing but an accidental pile of stuff jostling around with no rhyme nor reason, and all life on earth is but a tiny, utterly inconsequential speck of nothing in a corner of space existing in the blink of an eye, never to be judged, noticed, or remembered. So here, I, and I, I don't want to be disrespectful to, to her comments or anybody who kind of feels the same way, that there's nothing there, there's nothingness, and there's hopelessness. But in my conversations with people who feel this way, here's, here's what comes out, is that I get this strong sense like, this really matters to me, John. Listen to me. I want to tell you that nothing matters. And it really matters to me to make sure that you know that nothing matters. Do you see a problem with that? <laughs> well, all I'm suggesting to you, all I'm suggesting to you, everyone, is that even in the midst of saying it doesn't matter, right? Richard Dawkins, it doesn't matter. There's nothing there. Even in the midst of that, why? so why tell us? Why write about it, right? If, if, it's, if there's nothing but meaninglessness, why take the time to speak? Because it's meaningless. If you truly believe what you say you believe and there's nothing but meaninglessness and nothing exists, why tell us? What's it going to matter anyway? So I'm saying even in the midst of this, there's this yearning, there's this sense of deep truth that comes from God that says, yes, things do matter. Life does matter, and we cry out because of that. So here, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Noah decides to build an ark. And Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. It says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. What is faith? Faith is confidence. Faith is hope. It's hope. Do you have hope? Faith is hope. Faith is confidence. And so Noah has to look around. And he says, do I see a better option out there? I'm looking at the world. It's going to hell in a handbasket. Is, is there something else I should place my confidence in? Should I place my confidence in a God of justice and of mercy and of love and in loyalty or of the things that I see around? And I'm asking you to do the same thing this morning. I'm asking you to look around you as you're making decisions about your faith and your hope and your confidence. And I'm asking you to, in a critical way, to analyze the world, to analyze your life, and to think about this. Is there a better option for you? One of the biggest things that we go through in the Christian community, if you're a part of the Christian community, if you would call yourself a follower of Christ, is apathy. Where our faith just feels really low. We feel like just, just so weak. In our faith, 
Well, I want to ask you to think about it this way. Is there a better option? Is there a better place to put your hope and your confidence? Is there a better option? So Noah gets this call from God to build an ark. And we're told that he says, by faith he builds the ark. Why? Because where else is he going to put his confidence? And my question to you is the same thing. If not God, where? If not God, where? If not in love and in sacrifice in selflessness, where will you put your trust? Where will you put your hope? Confidence is not certainty. Confidence is not certain. They're not the same thing. So often we talk about God, we get confused over this issue of certainty. Look, I can be confident and hopeful and trusting in every relationship of my life, but when it comes to God, I have to have absolute certainty because I judge my relationship with God on a different basis from every other relationship I have in my life. But confidence is not certainty. Frederick Beeker says this. He's a pastor. He says, almost nothing that makes any real difference can be proved. So Noah, we're told in Hebrews chapter 11, builds the ark by faith, not by certainty. He builds it by confidence, not by certainty. He didn't know. He had to trust. You read all of Hebrews 11, which is this great chapter on what faith really is. And he did that. All, all the people did those many things, not knowing. You read how it ends. Some of them died not receiving what they had hoped for, but they did it on confidence. They did it on faith. Okay, think about your marriage vows for a second, right? Either your marriage vows or maybe you've been a wedding. Let's just think about this for a second. Here's the, here, here's the vows. To have and to hold for better, for worse, in sickness and to health, to love and to cherish until death do us part. If you are married or you have been married, are you certain that your spouse is going to live up to that? Now, I know immediately somebody's going, oh, yeah, I'm certain. Okay, all right. Let's all take them. I don't want to be condescending, but let's just take a moment and grow up. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're not certain. All right. You, you know, everybody in this room is uncertain except for the two of you are sitting in the room and you look at each other. Yeah, babe, I know you would never. Right. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So um, you're confident. And in some cases, you're extraordinarily confident, but you're not certain. And yet you still got married, didn't you? Why? Why did you get married? Because you analyzed the situation. You did. I'm assuming you analyzed the situation. <laughs> you, you did your homework. You studied this very, very well. You looked at this deal and you said, yes, this makes sense. This makes sense. And because it makes sense, I will place my trust, my faith, and my confidence in this person that this is the right person for me. But you're not certain. You can't be certain. You have to trust. All relationships are entered in by trust. And all the things in this world that matter the most can't be proved. They have to be trusted. And this is why God calls us to enter in in trust, in hope, and in faith. Look, look at this quote out of Rolling Stone magazine. This is Rolling Stone magazine. This is Bill Gates. So we, all know who, we all know who that is. I agree with people like Richard Dawkins that mankind felt the need for creation myths. Before we really began to understand disease and the weather and things like that, we sought false explanations for them. Now, science has filled in some of the realm, not all, that religion used to fill. But 
The mystery and the beauty of the world is overwhelmingly amazing and there's no scientific explanation of how it came about. To say that it was generated by random numbers, that does, that does seem, you know, sort of an uncharitable view. I think it makes sense to believe in God. This is what I'm talking about this morning. Now, if you don't believe me, you can believe the richest man in the world, right? So, so, uh, <clears throat> it makes, here, I want you to focus on those words. It makes sense. And I want you to look at your life and your relationship with God and all the struggles you're going through right now. And you're looking at other people and say, you know what? Other people are doing it different ways. You know, my girlfriend's doing this and she seems like she's getting ahead and she's happy and she's satisfied and filled. You know, my brother is doing this and he's getting ahead and he's, he's doing it the counter covenant culture way he's doing his own thing and he's not following the love and the selflessness and the self-denial and the sacrifice and he's getting he looks happy and fulfilled right which way should i go what makes the most sense to you what makes the most sense to you i mean really as you're trying to decide whether you leave you know what the bible has to say and and the principles and the guidelines of the Bible, I'm going to leave that behind. I'm asking you to think about it this way. Do you want to leave behind love and loyalty and sacrifice and forgiveness and being a giving person? This this is the decision that you're making. Do you want to leave that behind and choose another way? What really makes sense to you to do with your life? How will it turn out? Do you know what gives us confidence? One of the things that obviously gives us confidence in this world is the attention to detail. The attention to detail. When you see a restaurant and a restaurant is reviewed like in Washingtonian magazine, what do they talk about? They talk about the restaurant's attention to detail. They have tremendous attention to detail. Or somebody writes a a review on a car. They have impeccable attention to detail. You should buy this car. You should put your confidence in this car. You should put your hope and trust in this car because of the tremendous attention to detail. A home, a car, a date, a hotel, whatever. These things are reviewed on details. Details. We look at them, we say, okay, if there's a lot of attention to detail, then we put a lot of confidence in them. Uh, Chris and I, this is many, many years ago, we were living in a small town uh, where I was going to college, and there was a restaurant. I worked in the middle of the night. I worked from like 2 o'clock in the morning to like 8.30 in the morning, and Krista had a great idea one morning. Let's go out for breakfast right when you get off from work because we had a little bit of time before you have to go to school. I said, great, let's do it. Okay, good. So I just come from work, and we chose this place. We chose this place solely on the name. We didn't have anybody. We didn't do any research on it. Nobody told us a thing about it. But the name of the place was the Edelweiss Cafe, right? Anybody know Edelweiss? What's that famous for? Thank you very much. Good. Okay, so we chose it on the sound of music. Now, when we walked in the door, we should have met. You know, our brains were working, but we should have gone with our instincts because when we walked in the door, we get there. The place was dimly lit. Nobody was there to greet us. Uh, it seemed dirty. When I went back to wash my hands in the bathroom, the bathroom was atrocious. The uh, waitress was extraordinarily rude. We should have taken all the clues. They had no attention to detail whatsoever. So our confidence in the place is going down, 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 down. When Krista looked across the counter and she saw two cockroaches running behind the counter, you know, and it concerned her, we should have listened to our instincts at that point. You know what I'm saying? So when the waitress came over and Krista said... Do, 
do you have a cockroach problem here? And the waitress said, what are you talking about? We don't have a cockroach problem here. Why, why would you say something like that? And was very mad and very upset. And while she's saying, there's two cockroaches, you know, running on the wall beside us. This is why Krista will never sit at a restaurant with the wall right next to her anymore. And the, the last, the final step of this thing is when her and I are talking, should we leave, should we leave, should we leave? And we both at the same time looked over at the waitress and we see her, she's behind this counter that they have. We see her go like this. So that should have done it, right? What, 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 I'm, what, I'm, what I'm saying to you is our confidence is built on attention to, to detail. And here's what I want to show you. Here I want to show you real quick in conclusion about the story of Noah. Tremendous attention to detail. Matter of fact, the entire Bible is so filled with details that just connect to each other over and over and over again. All right, ready? I'm going to show you this in just a few moments, and then we're going to, we're going to go. The flood, everyone, is a recreation story. And what the flood is, what's happening here in this recreation story is God is calling us that read this and those that lived it to come back to trust in Him. And what I think this morning is God is calling some of us who are wavering, who've become confused, hurt, um, whatever because of the pain in this world. Something's happened to you or you just, you haven't put your priorities. Whatever's taken place, I think God is calling some of us back this morning to re-engage and to think and say, I'm going to put my trust and my confidence in God once again. Here's a recreation story, all right? So what we see in here is that a new world emerges from under deep waters. Happens in Genesis 1. It happens in Genesis 9. A new world, right? So it's a total connection between the two, right? The number seven is prominent everywhere. Obviously, seven days of creation. The seventh day represents rest, right? Rest. Do you want to take a wild guess at what Noah's name means? Wild guess. Anybody? Just wild. Rest. Yes, good. Good. Excellent. All right. All right. Uh, seven pairs of animals. Bring seven pairs of animals onto the ark, right? And after, right, Noah goes in the ark, he closes the door. It says, how many days until the flood started? Wild guess. So if you said seven, you're right. In what month do you think the ark rests on top of the mountain? I mean, it's all over. Seven. Yes. Right. And uh, Noah sent a dove out how many, how many days? How many days? Every, every what? Seven days, every seven days. Now, when um, Adam is created, God says to Adam this command, the first command of the Bible, be fruitful and multiply, right? And we always like to say people who think that God is against sex, here's the first command of the Bible, go have sex, be fruitful and and multiply, right? So, uh, and we've taken that command fairly seriously. Uh, what do you think, what's the first command as, they, as Noah emerges from the ark? Want to take a wild guess? you're smarter than this. Come on now. <laughs> Come on. Be fruitful and multiply, right? The detail all over the place. Both Adam and Noah find themselves in a garden. Both of them consume fruit. Both of them find themselves in a garden. Both of them consume fruit. Both of them have their nakedness exposed. Both of them are shamed by that fact, followed by a curse. Look, this is just, the, we're just scratching the surface. Somebody extraordinarily smart wrote this book with tremendous attention to detail, or maybe God wrote the book who really knows all kinds of stuff and knows details. But this is amazing, and this is only the beginning. I could give you so much more, but my wife told me, 
John, not everybody's excited about the things that you're excited about. You know, hey, man, I'm just telling you, by human nature, when we see tremendous attention to detail, we put our confidence in that restaurant. And what I'm suggesting to you, will you put tremendous confidence in a book, the Bible, that gives us all of these wonderful details? If you're, if you're not going to put your hope and confidence in God, what will you put your hope and confidence in this morning? If not God, then what? If not love and sacrifice and loyalty, if not that, then what? Where will you go? What will you do? What makes the most sense to you? I just want to read something from this John Ortberg book uh, in conclusion. Listen to this. I thought it was was an excellent way to say it, much better than I could. I have never heard anybody say, One day I realized there was no God. No one behind reality, no life after death, and I realized existence is a meaningless accident begun by chance and destined for oblivion, and it changed my life. I used to be addicted to alcohol, but now the law of natural selection has set me free. I used to be greedy, but now the story of the Big Bang has made me generous. I used to be afraid, but now random chance has made me brave. I've never heard the story of an accidental, meaningless universe changing the life like that. I have never heard anyone say, Now I have found a meaningful existence from a meaningless reality. My question simply is this. If not God, then what? And I think everyone, at least for reasons of being politically correct, we'd all say, I believe in love, I believe in loyalty, I believe in truth, I believe in justice, I believe in mercy and grace. And what are you saying when you say you believe in all those things? You're saying you believe what Jesus Christ and the Bible gives us in perfection embodies in his name. We can place a lot of confidence in that, a lot of confidence. Now, uh, you know, I've never heard anybody else give that testimony either that they believed that there was meaninglessness and it just totally set them free. But you know what I have heard? And I've heard this over and over about people who've placed their trust and their hope and their confidence in Jesus Christ and their life has been completely transformed. We've had people stand up here on this platform and share that story. Maybe you've had the wonderful opportunity to hear people do that. And so I could draw on a lot of people. We're, going, we're just going to show you just in conclusion one picture of one guy. I don't know if you might uh, recognize him. You recognize the old guy? The old old guy on the left. That's Big Russ. Big Russ uh, tells me all the time he's the most popular person in this entire church and that he should be up on the stage uh, more often. Uh, About 25 years ago, his life was completely transformed. He was living a life that didn't have meaning and realized that life did have meaning and he placed his faith in Jesus Christ and he's not been the same since. If not God, then what? If not in love and selflessness and sacrifice, then where are you going to place your hope and your trust and your confidence? And the story of Noah is this, everyone. God is calling you this morning saying, think about this. Place your hope and your confidence in God because God will save you and see you through. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word that makes so much sense. Thank you, God, that we can place our hope in you because placing our hope in you is the best thing that we can do as we look around the world. Lord, for those that you're calling back this morning to faith, maybe a renewal of faith or maybe the beginning of faith, the beginning of hope and confidence. Lord, help us to respond to your call of the covenant this morning that you made with Noah. Help us to respond in the way that you want us to respond to this morning. That, Father, that we might put our hope and confidence in you, that, Lord, that maybe you might save us from a really bad situation that's going on in our lives right now. God, help us and bless every single person in this room this morning in a very special way. In Christ's holy name, amen. God bless you. Prayer team is here. Grace and Five is here. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.